And welcome back to Let's Talk About God. We're here. Y'all missed us? We're ready to go. It's only been two weeks. Ready to talk about God. But hopefully y'all missed us. <laughs> they probably missed us. I'm going to do them like I do the secretaries here in the office. We'll go to lunch, and then I'll come back in the office, and I'll walk by one of the secretaries' office, and I'll say, hey, did you miss me? And they the say, right answer is always yes. And they always go, oh, yeah, we missed you. I say, good answer, because <laughs> if, if you say anything else, that's not good. I, 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 and I tell them, I say, if you have to lie, just look at me and say, yeah, but if you didn't miss me, just say, yeah, we missed you so much. So the whole office is trained at when I, you know, when I, because somebody one day said, no, nah, not really. I, did, I said, oh, that's the wrong answer. Oh, I said, that's the wrong answer. You got to be smarter than you that. You got to be smarter than the boss. So mm. it's something we have fun with. Uh, uh, you're feeling pretty good right now. Because I had COVID. And now I don't. Well, that's one reason. You did. <laughs> Tell our studio audience about your COVID experience. I'm just glad it's over. You and your Me wife. and Elizabeth. She got it. Really, she got it. And then I got it from being trapped in the house with her. Yes. So, you, and you know. And, and my beautiful, talented, wonderful daughter-in-law, i.e. your wife, is expecting my fourth grandson. Very soon in November. November. Beginning in November. And uh, so you were trapped in the house, not only with a sick wife with COVID, but who's also a pregnant wife. That's right. I bet you had to stay in your P's and Q's. And No, she's wonderful. Oh, she's sweet. She is. I'm, she is really wonderful. I love her so much. And she hasn't been a like demanding pregnant woman at all. Yeah. She just, I tried to make her chocolate milk last night, and she was very, very particular how it was made. So I had uh, to, it was a learning process. Okay. But I don't think that has anything to do with the pregnancy. I think she's just very, that's her. She's, about and her she's kind of independent, which I, I appreciate that about her. You know, she's, she, she do things. She'll she go do stuff. She goes for it. She can, she can stain cabinets and take on projects, and she's not scared at all. Mm-hmm. I just love that about her. So, I mean, that's something I kind of admire. But yeah. And then, you know, some of our listeners might like this. Some of them are absolutely not going to care. But you have joined the AR fifteen world. You you got your I've first. Joined it. I'm got here. You, you've got your first AR semi automatic uh, rifle, and and, uh, and and we've been accessorizing that bad boy. Oh yeah. So getting we've been, ammo we've been ready to go. Oh yeah. Now you, and you haven't even shot it yet. No. Yep. It's just sat. Yeah, we got to go. Well, shoot COVID it. ruined that. Yeah, I was COVID. getting ready, and then nope. Yep, you were quarantined. But so, uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna remedy that. Yeah, we are. And you got one. I got one. Your brother's got one. So this is Star Clan is armed and dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so just funny saying that. <laughs> oh, uh, we're, we're a bunch of high tech rednecks. That's what we are. We're using our guns to uh, as a curb against anyone who might would come and attack our families. That's as good as I got today. Is, is that what it is? As a curb. Yeah. To uh, restrain those. For, I can't do it. I, I, I have just, no pun today. I think, I, think <laughs> I think COVID has dulled your pun. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't lose my taste or smell. I lost well, my pun. Here's how I feel about it. There ought to be a law against you making bad puns. How about that? There ought to be a law. Oh, gosh, if you you haven't figured it out because you didn't read the episode, we are talking about the three uses of the law, and today we're talking about the very first use, the law as a curb against human sin. And again, if you 
have been listening with us, you, you've got to have figured this out by now, okay? We can say, we will say, here's our topic today. And, and on the surface, you may go, oh, man, that doesn't sound like it's very interesting. But if you have learned to hang with us and you listen to us, you have learned that, hey, I think we could take a tube of toothpaste and make it interesting. <laughs> you just give us half a chance. We, we, that's what we do. And this is a really fascinating subject today and you're oh, yeah. going to learn a lot and it really applies um to your christian life and it's we're going to talk about the government today applies just to your human life plus you, you can't hum- escape it yeah this is about your day-to-day living we're going to talk about the government and so, you know there's just conscience. your conscience there's you know you're talking about your conscience i have a guilty conscience stuff like we're going to talk about some stuff today i think that'll really it's going to you know, like we always do we, we try to live we try to talk about stuff where you live yeah Okay, so so, exactly. what are we, so where, where are we going here? Let's give. I'll, I'll give you my thirty second definition uh, of the first use of God's law. Okay, so the first use of God's law is that it is a curb or a restraint for human sin, as it operates through the means of the human conscience and human government. Yeah, I I think you did a really great job there, Evan. I mean, I think that kind of that. I don't know that I can do any better. I, I what I'll add to that is. Uh, especially in this case, this particular dynamic is a curb. The law of God deters sinners from sinning through its um, prescription of punishment for wrongdoing. Yeah. So that's kind of another angle at it. Is yeah. that it's like your mama says, "You get your hand in that cookie jar, and I'm going to spank your bottom." Okay, I'm going to whoop. It. You're going to get a whooping. You're going to get a lash. That's that's it. You got a law. But there's also the prescription. The yeah, there's yeah. a punishment if you do wrong. And so that's supposed to curb the child from not getting in the cookie jar. That's uh, I think another way of putting it uh, is that it keeps sinners from being as bad as they could possibly be. Yeah. yeah. How's that for a simple one? As far as the restraint and the curb aspect goes. Right. It keeps sinners from being worse than what sinners already are. Yep. So... I think that's good. Um, so before we actually get going, talking about the law as a curb, maybe you're a little bit confused. I said, hey, we're going to talk about the first use of the law. Well, when I say first use, that kind of necessitates at least one more. What are we talking about? So we're actually beginning a little three-part series um, on what we would just call the three uses of the law. And um, the discussion on the three uses of the law is a uh, Protestant Reformation era distinction. Um, I don't really know that I even really call it a debate. The Lutherans and the Reformed were like pretty on par with this one. Like they pretty well agree on this one. And um, so there's three distinctions to God's law. And you can remember it this way. God's law serves as three functions. It serves as a curb, as a mirror, and as a guide a curb, a mirror, and as a guide. So it first serves as a curb in that it curbs humans away from sinning and being as bad as they can through conscience of the government. Two, it's a mirror, and then that the law allows us to look at ourselves and recognize that we're sinners, and it brings us under conviction. And then three, it's a guide for Christians that once I'm justified in Christ, the law guides me in how I need to live my life and reflect Christ. So for these three episodes, we're going to kind of break down in detail what it means for the law to be a curb, a mirror, and a guide. And when we say the law, and we've, we've said this before, in the Old Testament, the law the word the law actually has three components. So you have 
um, first of all, you have the civil law of God, mm-hmm. which is if you read the, the the Old Testament, Genesis through um, Malachi, it's all the laws about how to live and. It's for national Israel. For national Israel. It would be the equivalent of like your your civil laws in your city, mm-hmm. your county, the state laws, federal laws. Yeah. So there, there are those laws. Those don't apply to us. They were they were directly for national. Because you remember, the, the, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They weren't a nation. They were just a bunch of people in bondage in a nation called Egypt. Mm-hmm. And then they come out of there and boom, in a day, they're a nation yeah. trying to find a homeland. And God's taking them to, to their homeland. So that's what, and then you have the ceremonial law, which especially like in books like Leviticus, it has the, the, the burn offerings and the guild offerings and the wave offerings and the, and, and the sin offerings. And, and you got to do all these certain things that are the rituals in the, in the work, in the worship of God. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have to do the ceremonial laws. Christ fulfilled all those. Mm-hmm. So that leaves one more segment of the law which is what you're about to talk about, is the moral law. Yes. Which commonly, the, the, which would be probably for our listeners, the most common way for them to understand that would be the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. That's the moral law of God. And that's what we're talking about today, right? Basically, that's correct. When we when we talk about the law, we mean the Ten Commandments and then really the moral truths that flow out of the Ten Commandments. Right, because there are other, others in in. Like the, the, especially the, the Pentateuch. Yeah, exactly. The, the Ten Commandments would be the foundation for Christian morality, but we don't mean that like in its most literal wooden sense. And what here's what I mean. The only sexual sin isn't adultery. There's right. more than that. But the Ten Commandments lay a foundation for what it means to be pure sexually. Does that make sense? Right. It it it's it's a reference point. It's a exactly. starting point. But you can go in either direction. If, if our listeners can see this. So, so imagine you got the Ten Commandments sitting there and then an arrow going one way and an arrow going another. Mm-hmm. So you could take that arrow and go one way and say in the rest of the of the Old Testament, and especially in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, but, but in the prophets and whatever, you're going to find other scriptures that elaborate on w- one or more of those 10, mm-hmm. like you said. Okay, go the other way and you're going to find just two verses in the Old Testament that wrap them up. Yeah. You mean in the, the New Testament? No, the Old Testament. Oh, you're saying in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. You go the other way, and there are two scriptures that instead of breaking it down, okay, so those scriptures, if you go one way, you're going to find all these scriptures that break it down. There'll be more, like you said, other scriptures that really help us understand more about sexual sins and how to really honor your parents mm-hmm. and how you don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't, don't do idols. And, you know, there, there are other scriptures that can really elaborate. But then you're going to go the other direction in an arrow, and there are two scriptures in the Bible that wrap up the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and you shall love your neighbors. You love yourself. Boom. And Jesus said in the New Testament, referring back to those two Old Testament scriptures, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Yeah. So if you will love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and if you'll love your neighbors, you love yourself, you should fulfill the Ten Commandments. Exactly. So that's exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. God's standard of loving him and then loving his neighbor. So before we, so really we're asking that question and we're answering it. What is the law? So the foundation, the foundational document is the 10 commandments. So here's my challenge without looking at the sheet. Cause I don't really actually want to read all of that. I put way too many verses there. Name the 10 commandments. Go. Um, you shall have another gods before me. You shall not make a graven image. You shall not use the Lord like God's name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You should honor your mom, mother and father. You don't covet. You oh, you're going out of order here. You're going out of order. You don't commit adultery. You, you don't steal. You don't bear false witness. And you don't murder. Boom. I that got was him. good. Ah. That was good. You nailed it. Out of order, too. Out of order. Yeah, I don't have them in order. I, I don't have them in order. Hey, but I just, as long as you know them, that's don't cool. break them. Great job. Thank you. So I get, I get a gold star. Yeah, you gold star. Gold star day, baby. <laughs> so those are the Ten Commandments, though. That This is God's law, the foundation, basically, of God's character. So when we talk about God's law, God's law is an outflow of who God is. It's 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 an uh, it comes out of his holy character, his holy nature, his perfection, his righteousness. So when God gives us his law, he's basically saying, "Hey, live up to my standard. Image me, if you will. Be my image. Reflect me in all that I do." It's an expression of his moral character. And, and I'm interrupting because we go down rabbit trails because behind the, like the precepts the word precept is a word that's often used for the commands. Mm-hmm. So we have the Ten Commandments. So those are ten precepts. Behind every precept, there's a principle. Behind every principle, there's the person of God. That's good. Okay, so so you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor is the precept. The principle is that truth is the best is always the best route. Mm-hmm. You know, truth truth is. Truth is what we build our lives on, relationships on. But truth, truth is how we relate to one another. But why is that? Because God is truth, and there is no lie in Him. That's good. God is not a man that He should lie. See, Jesus said, "I am the way. I am the truth. Not that I have truth. Yeah. Not that I just speak truth. I am truth. He's truth personified. Mm-hmm. He's the Logos, the Word. So behind every precept, there's a principle. Behind every principle, there. So you're right. This is talking about us. This is talking about us here in the in the in the New Testament. These, these are this is the standard for us how we live, and uh, it's how all it's how God intended for all of humanity to live. Exactly, because the Ten Commandments. Boy, we're going down rabbit trails here. We're <laughs> going to get to this, but the, the the Ten Commandments have been true for all people at all times in all places from the beginning of time, mm-hmm. and uh, that even goes for remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because a lot of people have said, well, you don't have to do the Sabbath anymore. Because we're in the New Testament, you know, and but but no, you go back to Genesis one. God worked six days and he rested the seventh day, which he made it a Sabbath. So you're supposed to work six days and then rest a seventh day and spend that day, at least a portion of the day, focusing on God. Okay. So the Sabbath is not an old testament mosaic thing that got rid of um it it's it's a it's 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 a good gift from God that helps us to stop working all the time and slow down, let our bodies regenerate so we can work again. That's good. So we know that God gives his law and he gives it um as a means of restraining and punishing human sin. So putting it in context, like you said, Israel was enslaved in Egypt and they're not a nation yet. Well then God sets them free and he makes them a nation. He's he's forming them as his own people and as a literal nation on the earth. Well every nation needs a law. Like America has the constitution. We have a foundational document that kind of sets the standard for everything else. Well God is giving Israel their constitution if you will, the foundation for their moral law. He's saying, "Okay, you're my people now. I'm your God. I'm the president. I'm the king. I'm the leader. You're my people. This is how you're going to live." through these 10 things. And what it is, is God is saving a people that they're not Adam and Eve. They're not pre-fall. They're a sinful people. There are people that he knows 
Um, they need to know who I am and how they're supposed to live. And then they also need to know that if they fall short of these, there is going to be punishment. So it's informing them this is what it means to live rightly and purely and goodly. And then goodly, that's in a real word. And then I just made a word. And then if you break these, there is going to be punishment in this land because we really and truly are a nation. The Ten Commandments, I mean, honestly, every society should be built off of them. No society could actually function properly without these Ten Commandments. You know, if you really break them down and look at them, every society would fall apart. And so God is building those building blocks. This Ten Commandments is not for people who are good who already please God in everything that they do, who obey God in every way. The Ten Commandments is for a sinful people that God is making his own nation and basically telling them, live like this, and then if you don't, you're going to be punished. It's a law with rewards. It's a law that comes with punishment. That's kind of the deal there for a brand new nation. So we need to ask, what's the purpose of the law? Well, we just kind of laid that out there, but let's look at the New Testament real quick. First Timothy chapter 1, 8 through 11. This is what Paul says, and this is in response to people who want to preach the law as salvation, who want to kind of preach all these speculative doctrines and then want to tell people that they have to obey the law perfectly in order to be saved, that the law is salvific. And he says this, but we know that the law is good provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and males who have sex with males, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. So what are we hearing from Paul? The law is not something that's bad. It's not something to be dismissed. It's good, but it's got to be used in the right way. And then he gives this distinction. The law is not for a righteous person. God doesn't give the law for somebody who already naturally obeys it. God doesn't give the law for somebody who already knows how to please God uh, and, and just does it perfectly. God gives the law to unholy people, sinful people. He gives the law to people who are breaking the law to essentially lay before them and say, hey, you're breaking the law. This is God's standard, and you need to stop it, and you need to start obeying him. And so we don't sound like we're contradicting ourselves because we just said earlier that the law of God is the standard for Christians. So we sound like we're contradicting ourselves or that we're contradicting what Paul said Paul has in mind, particularly, again, what you said, that the law is not meant for righteous people in the sense that I have to keep the law to be righteous. Mm-hmm. That, that's not Paul's not saying that, that the law is, we don't need the law, period, for if we're saved. He's just saying we don't need it to get saved. That's so right. you have to really make sure that you understand that's a big deal with Paul, because elsewhere, Paul would... We'll, we'll refer to the law. So, so just so we don't sound like we're contradicting ourselves, is he's got in his mind, particularly That's that, right. that that righteous people don't need the law to help them curb their sin. Once you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you in a new nature that helps curb you from sin. Well, he's saying, I think to to be clear, the the law is going to help you. It, the law is going to help a Christian. Third week 
tell you how to live right. It's going to be a guide, but the law can't justify you before Christ. Right. It what can't saying, save you. It can't, it, it's not something that says, okay, now you can live this out perfectly without ever breaking it, and then you'll earn your way towards that, God. Right. And that's that, not the that's point. That's not the point. And that's what he says here when it's not for the righteous. Exactly. Yeah. So we want to be, and, and, and I think Paul's kind of pointing out too, and something we can point out is if there was never a fall, God would never have given a Ten Commandments because in our hearts, we would have already known what it means to please God. We wouldn't have, to, we wouldn't have needed to be told, uh, don't murder or don't commit adultery because we wouldn't have done that anyways. It wouldn't have been on our radar. We wouldn't have need to be told that. But the law comes into play because we are now sinners naturally breaking the law of God, and God wants to lay that before us and call us to repentance. Yeah, and we're going to elaborate that out a little bit more as we get down here Exactly. About the human conscious. And remember, there's three uses to the law. So we are restraining this one episode to how the law helps general human society not be as sinful as it could be. And then in two episodes, we're going to break down for what it means, particularly for sinners in their relationship with God and then Christians in their relationship with God. So remember, we're talking about like just everybody. So we're going to break that down. Um, uh, anyway, so... Now we need to ask this question, why do we need the law to curb and restrain sin in human society? Why do we need the law to curb and restrain sin in human society? There's a number of reasons. Um, Humanity is totally sinful. So without anything to restrain us, we would jump into absolute anarchy and insanity. If we didn't have something as like a standard for how to live that governments could put in place, that humans would maybe want to live by their own conscience and feel bad if they just went crazy. Even in your family. Families and families make rules. Any society could put into place. The world would be insane. It would be, I've never watched these movies, but I imagine it would be like The Purge, which is like, hey, you have 24 hours to do whatever you want and everything's on fire and people are dying and like whatever. This is how human society would be if God didn't give like sinners and saints alike something that's like, hey, just do these or the world's going to blow up. (laughs) So that's exactly what we need. Uh, It reminds me, in Noah's day, the Bible says the thoughts of their hearts were continually evil always. Humans are jacked up. We are messed up apart from Christ. Our thoughts are continually evil always. We need something to kind of restrain us and kind of hone us in and say, hey, you can't go that far or there are going to be consequences or, hey, you don't want to go that far because your conscience will, will kind of eat at you and you won't want, you want to live with yourself. Um, I think about in the book of Judges, there was a law, right? God had given his 10 commandments. Um, but the common theme in the book of Judges is this phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if you go read the book of Judges, it's all about Israel getting worse and worse and worse by ignoring God's law. And so sometimes you'll hear pastors or preachers or writers, you'll read people talk about moral relativism. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we think that that is a new concept and we use that phrase and we talk about it. And if you're wondering what moral relativism is in its simplest form, it's that you get to determine what's right and wrong and what's wrong for you may be right for me. And what's right for me may be wrong for you. You respect my moral code. I'll respect yours and we'll all get along. Go listen to our CRT episode. If you want, 
there a you lot go. of content on that. Here's the point. You just read that all the way back to the book of Judges in the time of Judges, there was moral relativism. Everyone did what was right in their, their own, own eyes. eyes. That's yeah. moral relativism. That's right. And it dissolves into complete anarchy. And so what you find is that the more Israel did what was right in their own eyes and ignore the judges, and then the more the judges did what was right in their own eyes and departed from Christ, the worse Israel got to the point where uh, Benjamin did something so sinful and so messed up that the rest of Israel realized, oh my gosh, like we've got to punish them. They've gotten so bad. They've did all these terrible things. And then now their hearts are broken because they're at war fighting and destroying their own brethren. Yeah. It it just, if you want to like a masterclass on how destructive sin, it, sin really is in your life, go read the book of Judges exactly. and you will see it. Um, here's the truth too. And here's the reason why we need a general guide for human society and why we need a general human conscience. Not everyone is going to believe the gospel. The good news of Jesus is God changes people. Like you said, he gives you, a, he gives you the Holy Spirit. He writes the law on your heart, as, right. as, as the Bible says, that he, he changes you from the inside out to want to obey him. You put on the mind of Christ and you begin to think and look and talk like him. It's the beauty of the gospel. But the sad part of the world is not everybody's going to believe that. Not everyone's going to get that new heart. Not everyone's going to get that new mind. Not everyone is going, want, going to want to live by the law of Christ. And so we need an external law. We need a list that says this is clearly right and this is clearly wrong so that for those individuals, maybe for those societies at large that it, generally speaking don't turn to Christ, they have something that is objectively set before them that says this is right and this is wrong, that, that even though those societies may be awful, they may be sinful, there may be some terrible things about them, there is still a kind of a, a, a general set of boundaries that sort of keeps them together so it doesn't fall into complete just destruction and anarchy. Basic moral understanding and fear of punishment. And, and I think this is really, really important. God's law is a really, really good gift to the world. It's a good gift to creation. The fact that God gave us his law in the form of the Ten Commandments and the fact that he gave every person a human conscience with like a very basic general bent toward doing sort of the most basic level of right and wrong, as Paul tells us in Romans 2, is a good gift to the world because it keeps humanity from being as sinful as they possibly could and it keeps us from living in societies that are absolutely miserable and not worth living in. And so even though humanity screwed up the world through their own sin, God blessed everyone, sinner, saint. God blessed the people he knew would never even believe in him with this really good gift that makes life uh, much more bearable, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So now we need to ask the question and kind of get into what we've been hinting at and what we've been um, uh, kind of alluding to. How do we put this law into practice? We've been talking about the Ten Commandments. We've been talking about how to, it restrains human sin and the world. But how in the world does God like deliver that law to us? And how do we put it into practice for the benefit of humanity? Well, we've alluded to it. Now let's get down to it with the scriptures two ways. We've got human conscience. And we've got human government. God's law restrains sin in the world for the good of the world through human conscience and human government. So let's read Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. It says this, For all who sin without the law 
will also perish without the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. He means they don't have the Ten Commandments. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. This is so, so important. God is basically talking about how both Jew and Gentile have no excuse. They will both perish. Even if you don't have the law, you're still going to suffer the effects of sin, which is death. But he says it in two ways. The Jewish folks are condemned because the Ten Commandments explicitly condemn them for their sin. But Gentiles, they are without excuse because he says that the law is written on their hearts. They're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law, and that their consciences affirm this. So there is something in the entire world, even those who have never laid eyes on the Ten Commandments, that inside they have what we might call a general moral compass, a conscience, a really kind of basic, base-level understanding. Uh, this is a really good thing to do, or uh, this is a really bad thing to do. Okay, so I think I have an answer to that, and I want your opinion on it. In the Garden of Eden, you alluded to earlier, you actually mentioned earlier, that if Adam and Eve had never sinned, they wouldn't need a law because they would have known in their in their perfect nature, they were made, you know, everything God makes is good. Mm-hmm. So their goodness of their nature, they would have known um, but the but the devil comes along and tempts them, and they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and mm. evil. So we kind of run by that. We use the tree as the cause of sin, but we don't ever talk about the fruit yeah. of, of what they did because God actually says now they will know good and evil like us. Wow. So that's in the Bible. I don't know if I wrote it down. I think it's Genesis 3.22. They say they know good and evil. Mm. So God says that. Genesis 3.22, it's in the Bible. Yeah. So God didn't want them learning about good and evil by sinning against him. He wanted them to know about good and evil by being in right relationship with him. So there's, there's there's two ways, okay? So I'm asking you, do you think that then through the fall, there is written within our hearts and our consciences that there is an understanding that part of the sinfulness is, you know, the bad side is we know what sin is. That's why we do wrong because we know what sin, but, but is it that the knowledge of good and evil, is that the conscience? I don't really, I don't really know that I want to beg, be so quick to affirm and say that because it's not like Adam and Eve had a blank slate. So it's not like we're saying they have no good and no evil. They have nothing when God made them. I would say when God made them pre-fall, they knew the good. They knew God. They knew who God was. They um, would not have turned to sin. So like, for instance, the Gentiles naturally 
without even being told what sin is, still sinned. On the flip side, Adam and Eve would not have done that because sin hadn't corrupted them, So, which means they naturally would have only done what was good. I think that eating the fruit probably added the evil. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, but- I understand it's still the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but maybe the emphasis is more on the and evil. Well, I guess you're missing my point. God says they know good and evil now. Yes. And it's, and it's like you said, I think they knew the good. They didn't know the evil, but now they know the good and evil. Okay. But is that where the conscience comes in? Because to have a conscience, you have to know evil is evil. And so I don't think it's just maybe an awareness that I know now what sin is. I wonder if the knowledge of good and evil is part of the conscience where I only, not only do I know now know that murder is murder, but I also have in this sense that murder is wrong. Because, see, they got their knowledge from God, but then there was the next generation, the next generation. I see what you're saying. Yeah. There's got to be something inherent. And I, I'm just wondering, my theology, I'm really thinking that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, now they know good and evil. And I think it that is the, the foundation of that conscience. Because how can a bad person, an evil person, an unregenerate person, have a conscience. It has to be a gift from God, or it, or it is a result of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I understand what you're saying. Does that make now. sense? Yeah, I understand. Because it's not necessarily saying that they're not going to commit the evil. They just know what they're doing is evil. So that's the reason why every human uh, being you. coming into this world <laughs> inherently knows the difference between right and wrong. And here's my proof, mm-hmm. anecdotally. I've got three grandsons, and... They're little, my little, my little grandsons, my boys, but every child has done this. You get a group of kids together and one kid will steal and take the toy from another child. And instead of that child saying, okay, and you can have it, they will scream, they will fuss, they'll punch, or they'll look at their mom and dad and they'll say these words. That's not fair. Yeah. Now, how does a four-year-old know what equity is all about? (laughs) Or on the flip side, the one who did it immediately knows it's wrong when they get caught and what they were doing was wrong the whole time. And so that's my point is inherently there's something within us and why this conscience is important as we're talking about it is because people have said, well, what do you do with people in a foreign land who never hear the gospel and they can't, how can God righteously judge them? What the Bible says in particularly Romans chapter two, it is, the knowledge that you have inherently and that conscience is sufficient enough evidence and is sufficient enough for God to rightly judge you mm-hmm. for your actions and your words and your deeds. That's why Paul says at the very beginning, all who sin without the law, they'll also perish without the law. Perish without the law. And, and to perish is the judgment. It's it's to be judged and to suffer the consequences of your sin. And, and so you have this conscience. And and if you think about it, no other creature, creature in creation has a conscience. Mm-hmm. None of them are moral agents. Right. We have a conscience. So that's something that's interesting, whether it's a gift from God or whether it's a result of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or both. I, I don't know. That's I'm not going to try to go down that road and figure mm-hmm. that answer out. But it's a warning device, and, and it's pain. You know how pain... If you touch a hot stove and you feel pain, you jerk your hand back, okay? 
you remove yourself. It restrains you. The pain restrains you mm-hmm. from damaging your body first. Well, your conscience creates pain in a moral area. That's right. Is that a good way to put it? That's a really good way to put it. And, and it creates pain. And so, again, it could be said that's a gift from God. Just like we're touching a stove hurts and you jerk back from your from your nervous system, that's a gift from God. Well, the same way the pain in your, you know, I think could be a gift from God. So maybe inherently within the fall, even though they shouldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good, even God told them not to, there could have been something good in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that. Or like a built-in safety system almost. I guess. God put in there. God put in. So, but uh, it's, it's just an yeah, interesting path to go down. That that I don't, we good. may have to get to heaven to yeah. get the answer. Either way. The point is, it's the conscience is a gift of God's It's a grace. gift of God. There's inherently that understanding. that, the, And so, you know, people know generally, like, murder's wrong. Mm-hmm. They know that. They know that taking another life is wrong. There are people who do it. Yep. But but they know. They know. And um and, and so but here's the thing that I want can I just go yeah, down the road yeah. for just a minute. You, so we're talking about this conscience and I was doing some study and preparation for this. I thought this was interesting. You can tamper with the conscience. Mm-hmm. And there's two specific ways you can tamper with the conscience and one is by creating another law another morality. And this kind of takes me back to that moral relativism. Mm-hmm. So where you, you convince, um, all right, all right, let me say it this way. Your conscience responds to your belief system. So you, we, I think we're saying we have this inherent belief system. Okay. I believe that taking another life is wrong. I believe that lying is wrong. I know lying is wrong. Sometimes I do it though because I want to get out of trouble. I know what I'm doing is not the right thing, but I do it anyway. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's what we're talking about. Everybody knows that's how it works. But I know inherently, I know that's wrong. I don't want people lying to me. It's wrong. If you lie to me, I'm going to say it's wrong. You know, if you try to murder me, that's wrong. Yeah. Okay. So, but if the belief system is standing in your way of doing some things you want to do that are wrong, then you've either you the first thing you do is you have to. You have to remove that. You have to replace that inherent system with another system, and we call that perversion mm. or immorality or moral relativism, and, and so you defy it. So that's one way, and that's why people love coming up with their own moral systems. That's why people like embracing certain religions if those religions actually give them a license to do things that Christianity says, you know, God's Word says you shouldn't do. And, and or they don't they just ditch religion at all so that they can do whatever they want to do. So you've got to you've got to change it. You've got to replace it. You know, with with another, that's why moral relativism. I'll create my. I don't, I don't think abortion's wrong. A woman has a right to choose. You know. Okay. Well, see, so you're you're creating your own value system, mm-hmm. and then now you're going to live by it. The second one is, and this is interesting. You take the conscious and you disarm like a bomb. Like a bomb could explode. And so you disarm it. You cut the red wire. Yeah. Or you hope it's the red wire. Yeah. In the movies. You hope it is. And so you cut the red. <laughs> so you disarm the guilt. You disarm the pain. Um, and you de- delegitimize the fear of wrongdoing. And so if you do that, then what you do, you start removing the, the personal restraint of the law mm-hmm. itself. You remove the responsibility that I'm not my brother's keeper. That's what that's what Cain did. Yeah, Cain killed Abel because he disabled the system. Oh, come on now, too soon. What? 
He disabled the system. Oh, see, I didn't even realize my pun. I do puns and don't even realize it. He disabled the system by killing Abel. See, you got that. Okay. Oh, and, and so there's a scripture in the Bible, and I should have looked it up, but it's there. And it's and it's one of those that if you don't really pay attention, but if you really pay attention to it, it's kind of scary. I I, I don't know. One of the Bible writers, maybe in Paul, if you it talks about having a seared conscience, mm-hmm. their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Yeah. So when you take a hot iron, and and any medical people know this, when you cauterize a wound, you're 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 trying to stop the bleeding. But when oftentimes like nerves, okay, like you can have your nerves cauterized. Like people who have back pain, they'll go in and they'll burn the nerve, mm. and what it does, it numbs it by burning it it removes its ability to be sensitive to create pain. And so they, they cauterize the nerve, they numb the nerve. It's only temporary, I understand, but it'll give you relief for a period of time. But the point is you're, you're searing it to numb it. Well, the, the Bible says that if you're not careful, you will resist your conscience and what you know is right to the point in your resistance that you sear it. It's like taking a, a hot branding iron like the cowboys do and they brand the cows, you know, it's mm-hmm. they put that and it says that you take that hot iron and you resist it and you put it against what you know is right or what you know is wrong and you burn it and you get numb. Mm. So you're just numb. So that's why people will take somebody's life and then you get them in a room and the cops are working them over and they just sit there and they're they're numb. And they're like, you have no, and they'll put him in court and you have no remorse. And they're like, no, they've just done. They've just obstinately done away with it. Yeah, I have no remorse. Yeah. I'd kill him again. Mm. And they have no remorse whatsoever. Where most people, if they take a life, they feel remorse even. And so that's a scary place to be. Mm. Like nobody ever wants to be the point where you have seared your conscience with a hot iron that you don't even feel guilt you don't feel the misery you don't feel pain you don't feel wrong that's scary isn't it? it's very scary and then to me that that level and, and part of it has to do with god's revelation but sometimes i think that's a form of god's judgment in the sense that in the same section here in romans 2 paul says that um the people essentially sear their their conscience because they cut off the knowledge of God. They have the knowledge of God, and they exchange the knowledge of the Creator, the worship of the Creator, for the creation. And then the Bible says He handed them over to their own sinful desires and darkness. I mean, that's a scary place to be, where you basically tell God, "I don't want you," and God says. Okay. Instead you don't of rest- have to have me. Instead of still trying to restrain you and work on you, hands you. God lets his pulls his hands off and backs up and says, "Okay, let's see how sin works out. For Wear you. yourself out. Let's yeah. see how this turns out for you." I mean, wow. Uh, let me ask you this: as a you're you're, you're about to be twenty five, about to hit a quarter of a century. Okay, as a twenty five year old, you live in this nation. There was a time you've been able to see some of this where the Ten Commandments were in the courtrooms. They had the Ten Commandments posted in the schools. The Ten Commandments were in public places. And there was this massive movement, Evan, and to remove the Ten Commandments. Do you? How do you see that? Do you see that as part of this whole resistance? I mean, I, you know, it's probably more— To the moral law? Yes and no. It's probably, like, more complex— 
in, in terms of people just seeing that as like just a sign of religion, and then people have a really bad view of what separation of church and state actually means, and so they hop on that. So I think part of it's probably cult, cultural, and then the other part of it, I think, yeah, is probably people don't want to be bound by a moral code that is declared to be directly from God. They want to be able to operate on an independent level and have their moral standard be from whether it's science or their own interpretation of science or their own philosophy or their own way, and they just kind of want to get rid of it. When the funny thing is, is that at least the second half of the Ten Commandments is so is such common sense that you'd have to be an idiot to think you can let people cheat on their wives, steal other people's stuff, kill other people all the time, and have a society worth living in ever. Right. They would agree <laughs> with the second half, but they don't want to have, they don't you, have yeah. you shall have no other God before That's me right. except the God of the Bible. That's right. You shall not have any images or idols before me or put anything before me. You don't use my name in vain, which people do all the time, profanity. You know, you, which is that I mean, that's all like in the sense the enlightenment was, it was just good Christian morality divorced from the God it came from until it devolved. I, <laughs> and, and I think that's my point is there was such a move. And I think I'm convinced. So it was satanic. This wasn't, I, I think the clothing or the, the smoke screen or the, the mechanism mm-hmm. that, that carried this movement was the separative separation of church and state. And I don't want my kids being told stuff in school. We don't need the 10 commandments in school. I think that was the mechanism, but I think the spirit behind the mechanism was, was demonic. Mm -hmm. It it was a work of Satan working through demonic devilish people, whether they were puppets of the devil or whether they actually knew what they were doing and had a full agenda I do not want the moral law of God influencing my society, my kids, our schools. I want to remove that, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's a, it's a, it's an a, it's an attack. It's a vicious attack against God and godliness. And I just think how sad it is. All right, let's let's put it instead of negative terms. Think how wonderful it could be if your child could go to school every day, and there's the Ten Commandments sitting up on the wall. And no, nobody's saying you have to live by these. It's just there to be an influence to every generation of kids. That's what we had, that at least we kept the law of God before people. Whether or not they were going to keep it or not, nobody was forcing them to in a public school. Mm-hmm. But but we, we told our kids we do not want any kind of moral influence, and we tried to create a vacuum. But you and I both know, because I got a vacuum cleaner at the house, vacuums don't stay empty. They're designed mm-hmm. to suck in something. And we've sucked in moral relativism. We've sucked in humanism. We've sucked in somebody's morality took its place. That's right. And and our, our society pays for it. That's good. I think on the positive side of all of this, so when we look at human conscience, the good news is that um, when it works, it works. Um, and here's what I mean, you know, as, as Christians, we have to be careful not to paint like all non-Christians as the boogeyman, um, because we know it's not true. The The truth is that not all sinners are Ted Hitler Bundy or Ted Bundy. Yeah, your mom and murdering I murdering everybody. Your mom and I watched a special on Ted Bundy and the guy just, I mean, he was messed up. Yeah. He could just kill women and not even, 
The, but the the truth think is, think is about it. that most people aren't like that. No. And so the reason society um, can function the way that it can, and the reason it's a good gift of God is that probably everybody right now can think of people who don't believe in Christ, don't know the gospel, but they're like, by some sort of general terms, they're a good person. They're nice. They're friendly. They've helped you out without anything in return and need. They've forgiven you when you've done something wrong to them. I mean, that in a general sense, by God's grace, they've been able to, their sin has been restrained so that they're not everybody is Ted Bundy or something like that. And so this is the the good news uh, of, of what God has done for all of creation is that it's it's restrained and not everybody you know is as bad as they could be. Thank God, including yourself, before you came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, that um, that that God has restrained that, and so we're able to have a a good, healthy, normal, functioning society um, with people out there who realize, hey, I, I can't just go wronging people all the time. My conscience won't allow it. I couldn't live with myself if I did that. Right. I, I couldn't live with myself if I cheated these people like that or ran my business like that or whatever else. God is using that pain, that kind of burning, that you know, that, that hand on the stove response to keep people restrained in, which is really good news. All right. I'm going to take you down a rabbit trail. You know how the Bible says that, uh, that, 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 that the time will come. It's in first Thessalonians when, when that which restrains will be removed. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think here. Um, yeah. For the mystery of lawlessness, mystery of lawlessness. Mm-hmm. Okay. No law living as if there is no law. Which, Which all be, sin is lawlessness, right? And so, if, if if the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about this very podcast could be the mystery of lawlessness, where you start removing, the, you start searing the conscience. You mm-hmm. start okay. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Um, everybody kind of always wonders who he is, and but. And, and he may actually be a person, but some people have wondered if it's the church or if it's, mm-hmm. but, but I, you know, you just sitting here thinking about the, the conscience restrains. Yeah. Uh, the government restrains. I don't know. Just put, I just sent us down a little road. We'll come back. But. <laughs> no, I think that's very interesting. I don't have an answer for you. I'm I don't sorry. Either, I don't have an answer. Kind of makes you wonder. It you does know? make you wonder. Cause if in the, if in the tribulation period, you remove the restraint of the conscience and probably the restraint of the government, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna control you, but as far as sin and morality, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Something to think about. A little scary. Sorry, I just threw I just I just threw a wrench in there. <laughs> Pull the wrench out. Keep going. So, all right, the other one's the government. The other one is is human government. So we've got the Ten Commandments um, that are kind of there in the human heart, but then we've been explicitly given God's law as a means for human government in a general sense. To live by. So I know what you're immediately thinking. We're going to read the scriptures real quick, but not every human government is like that. What about North Korea? What about China or whatever? Okay. We're definitely not saying that every human government is good, that God approves of every law, that every human government perfectly goes by the Ten Commandments, or they don't do authoritarian, horrible, terrible, no good things. But we are talking about God's general design for government. In a general, most basic sense, even in Jesus's Rome, Roman Empire, in that day, there is a general sense in which the government, with its authority, with the sword, 
restrains people from going crazy and having complete anarchy and sinning and doing whatever they want in a general sense. Now, there are some, and that is the general design of government, which means there are some governments, like, let's say, North Korea, who far exceed those bounds, who maybe we could come to a conclusion, hey, they hardly ever uphold justice. But then in another sense, you can have some messed up countries. You can have places like China that have some horrible human rights violations. And yet, if I go kill somebody in China, the police are going to come after me because that's still illegal. Does that make sense? If I steal a bunch of things in China, the police are still going to come after me because stealing is still wrong and they're going to restrain that. So even in the midst of all kinds of immorality within governmental structures, Governments, in a general sense, still use the sword to restrain humans and uh, and and keep sin out. So let's read Romans thirteen verses one through seven. Paul says, "Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God." So that is very interesting. Governing authorities have authority directly from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So governing authorities, not necessarily individual governments, not necessarily God wants North Korea to exist, but governing authorities, I would say government, uh, is instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. Very important right there. Now your conscience is working in there. See, they're saying it's not only government, but notice he puts in the conscience. The conscience. So your conscience should already been working, but sometimes it's not. And he's a little extra. Yeah, and the government, the, the authorities have to step in. And for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the boo, I'm just kidding. God, I'm not booing your word. I'm just joking. Uh, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tax taxes, pay your obligation to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. I mean. Paul is very, very clear here. The purpose of government is to be a terror to bad conduct. The government is God's own servant, and it's God's servant for your good, and it brings wrath on the one who does wrong. So what's the point of the government? It's to restrain bad. It's to uh, bring reward to those who are good. And it's something that Christians are bound by our own consciences to obey in a general sense for the good of society around it, because they use the sword, they use punishment to punish those who do wrong. And I'm just kidding. God, don't strike me down. We do need to pay taxes as much as I don't like just paying taxes. Just not as much taxes as we pay. <laughs> oh, you're going to get me The boo started. is more of a reflection on our present society's oh, taxes, yeah. not the Bible. The scriptures are perfect and inerrant. We pay way too many taxes and they waste our money. But you're but right. we do have to pay them. Yeah, I'm glad I got a microphone. I could say things. Just vent. Thank you all for just letting me vent these things. <laughs> well, you're right. And again, legislatures make laws. And then the courts or the justice system, 
the judicial system upholds those laws, interprets those, upholds, I mean, upholds those laws rather. Um, that's why we have the courts. That's mm-hmm. why we have police and state troopers and county sheriffs. And they've gotten a bad rap here in the last couple of years. And are there bad apples? Yep, they're bad apples in colleges and universities and in businesses and in government. Um, they're bad apples in everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got you got you got black sheep in your family, man. You got that one family member, but you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I have a lot of f- friends who are policemen, county sheriffs, state troopers that are my friends. Um, they're good people. They're, they're regular people like you and me. They have wives. They have families. They go to church. They love th- to watch sports. They're, they're, but they do a job, mm-hmm. and it's a very difficult job, and it's it's a hard job, and it's gotten harder than ever before. And most policemen that I know love right and wrong, and they have a good sense of justice, um, and they want to treat everybody right. And And most of the policemen I know try to help people. Mm-hmm. They try to get along with people. They try to help people. Um, they have a good heart and a good spirit. And I just, I hate when the media focuses on those one or two or three or four that do, you know, do the wrong things. But that thin blue line protects our society, like you said. So it's Mm -hmm. not only the law of God and our conscience it's holding back, but, but the court systems and that thin blue line is what's keeping the anarchy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it works. It works. If you've ever gotten a ticket, if you've ever been driving and you're speeding and you know you're speeding and you look in your rearview mirror and there's that blue light, the adrenaline starts running, your mm. heart drops, your heart starts racing, and the adrenaline, why is all that happening? It's because you were doing wrong and you got caught. Yep. You got caught and you're now about to be possibly punished for your wrongdoing. That okay. is government curbing and restraining you. Right, because you might get killed or somebody else might kill, be get killed. Um, and you know, people want to gripe and complain about it, but the the statistics show that speed kills, bad things can happen. And I'm sitting here and you're probably thinking about it. We're sitting here in our offices last Friday. Oh yeah. This woman comes flying up Midway Road toward our church. Runs off the road on the right side because she's on her phone, overcorrects, flies across the left side of the road, takes out this pine tree cluster, which should have stopped her, but because she was going so fast, she took it out, totaled her car, went through the yard of our administrative office, somehow missed both our trees and a telephone pole, went across the driveway, went airborne, came down now, went through the next part of our parking lot, slamming on the brakes, and ended up in a flower bed in the middle of our parking lot with her car shattered in pieces and totaled and the front end (laughs) dipped into a V and, and airbags deployed, but she got out of it and walked away with a scratch. And I got without there a without a scratch and I got there and I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I don't know if you have a faith in God, but you might want to thank God <laughs> because you could be dead right now. So she broke the law. And when the state trooper got there to file, fill out the report, she got a ticket because she drove recklessly and took out trees and tore up our yard and plus other reasons. But the point is that state trooper wasn't doing her job as a lady. She wasn't giving her that ticket to be mean or anything else. There, there are laws mm-hmm. and that woman broke the law and then you pay the price. Yeah. Well, we don't like it, but if we didn't do that, everybody and his brother would be doing 80 on a road where you're supposed to be doing 45 and they're, 
you know, people get, I talked to, you and I talked to a guy today. We were at a store, you and I doing some shopping and uh, for our guns. And the guy from West Virginia was telling us a story about a guy who got drunk. Yeah. And got in a diesel, big diesel truck going down the interstate. The wrong way. Going the wrong way on an interstate and hit a, and hit a family on going on their vacation and killed uh, five people in it. Horrible. Horrible death. And he, he broke the law. You know, so we have to have laws because sometimes, you know, his if his conscience would have worked, he'd have said, you don't drink and drive, mm-hmm. you don't do this, but his conscience didn't work. And, you know, if a state trooper could have got to him and pulled him over and could have stopped it, but unfortunately he didn't. So when you don't have the conscience working, you don't have the government authorities there to stop you, bad things can happen that can ruin people's lives. That's right. So, yeah, the moral law is good inherently because it comes from God. That's right. But it's also good, I think we've said this a million times, because it it restrains and curbs people who are sinful from going way too far and being worse than what they could be and creating such a society that could be the point where God says, you know what, like you said in Noah's day, I can't let this happen. These people are going to kill each other. They're going to wipe themselves out. Uh, You know, I'm going to have to pass judgment on them. Be thankful that that we have this law, um, because you know, and and it's part of the reason is is basically you get to sleep well at night because the government is protecting you, or maybe somebody's conscience is you know stopping them from being a psychopath, being a crazy person, or whatever. Like this is a good gift to society, and be very very thankful for it. And we should be supportive um, of our government in a um, you know in in a general sense. We should be passionate about making our government as just and as righteous and as healthy as possible for this very reason, to be a good steward, to help it be a a good servant of God and a tool of God's to restrain sin in the world. Yeah, and I'll say this. We we have a movement, and look, there are people in power and and positions, especially legislative positions, lobbyists, okay, who who are trying to get the legislators. There, There is a segment of our society they do not want us legislating morality, mm-hmm. but they don't have a problem influencing a legislature in a, to, to legislate immorality. Everybody has a morality. Okay, but they don't have a problem, right? Like Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. They, no, they didn't have a problem. That, you, you and I see that as immoral, but they legislate. There is a law on the books that says killing an unborn baby is perfectly fine and legal. Okay, so... Don't feel bad, because and then they want to make us feel guilty. And I say us, those who believe in righteousness and in the law of God, the moral law of God. Mm-hmm. They want us to feel guilty. They want to silence us. They want to shame us. Don't you dare legislate your morality. Well, I got news for you. That morality is not my morality. It's God's morality. Mm-hmm. Don't ever be ashamed. So if you have a if you have a way that you can influence a legislator or a legislature to let's let's there's it's not a bad thing we're never going to get the kingdom of god on earth through politics yeah but just for the general good of our our america or our state or our county that we live in uh, don't be afraid to write a letter or call your legislator and say look i want this law this law if there's a law being considered and it goes against the law of god don't you be afraid to call them up and say i'm against this i'm against this because and tell them why god's law will always be for the benefit of society you can't make the bad decision if you know it's if, if it's based on God's morality. Well, we could do a whole episode on how in the United States, across America, 
it is it is absolutely i mean it's taught in school this is a known fact that our laws are mostly based on the judeo christian principles mm-hmm. of the, the laws of the bible that's right and that's how impactful the law of god is and the word of god is and uh we don't need to leave it we need to stay true to it more than ever before that's right well, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, give us a rating, like, subscribe, share it with somebody who needs it, and then make sure you're back here in a couple of weeks as we discuss the second use of the law, the law as a mirror, how the law convicts us of our sin. We will see you then. See you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>